tonight we are going to be in Titus chapter 3. So if you would turn to Titus 3, our final study here in the book of Titus. And Titus 3, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Um, just to kind of get us going, and, and then we'll uh, work our way through this. Paul writes, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, and the obey here will be directed to those authorities, obey those authorities, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for these men that are here tonight and those who have been a part of this study over the last seven or eight weeks. Lord, I thank you for um, the time that we've had together. I thank you for um, the discussions, how you've just brought some great wisdom from those who have shared and those who have been on our panel. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you have stirred us and stretched us and caused us to maybe even think about things that we hadn't thought about before. Um, and I just thank you, Lord, for just the blessing of being able to to meet together with these these guys, these precious brothers. And I pray tonight, as we look at your word, that you would minister to our hearts once again, that you would teach us, instruct us, that you'd bring clarity. Um, and uh, I just ask that once again that you would overlook my inadequacies, and Lord, that you would teach us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we saw in chapter 2 that Paul instructed Titus to teach the things which become, which lead to sound doctrine. And he was to teach the older men, and he was to teach the older women, and he was to teach the young men, and he was to teach the young women. But here in chapter 3, he begins with these words, remind them. And the them refers to the whole group. Young, young men, old men, young women, old women, the whole group. He's addressing them now. And we really see a threefold commission in these first two verses. That he says that, that first of all, they are to submit to rulers and authorities. Second, they are to obey those authorities. And third, they're to be ready for every good work. Now, the question that comes up when we're talking about the government is what does it mean for us to submit to our rulers and authorities? And are we to submit in every situation? That's the big question that's on a lot of people's minds today. Well, the word submit in the Greek is the word hupotasso, which means to arrange in an orderly fashion a group of soldiers under the ranking of a commanding officer. So this has a military connotation to it, that word. It was used most often, but it was also used in Scripture Elsewhere, in a non-military sense, it was used in describing a, a wife submitting to her husband or a slave submitting to uh, his master or even children submitting to their parents. Now, it's interesting 
Peter, in his epistle, he also wrote about our relationship to the government when he said this. It should be on the screen. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Now, Peter gives us two motivations for this submission, an inward motivation and an outward motivation. The inward motivation is found in the phrases, the first one there in verse 13 when he says, for the Lord's sake, and then again in verse 15 when he says, for this is the will of God. In other words, we do that, we are to submit to the authorities that have been placed over us because it brings honor to God and it's following his will. And there are also very few places in the New Testament where something is called the will of God. There's only a handful. This is one of them. This this word that's given to us of submitting to the rulers that have been placed over us. So it's his will for us to submit, and he's glorified when we are doing so. God is honored when his earthly representatives are seen as being stabilizers in our society. You see, God wants his church. He wants those of us who are believers to be known as model citizens, not subversive troublemakers. You know, our city should see us. When somebody says, you know, oh, I, I, I go to Calvary Chapel Vista, you know, the, our city should see us as a blessing, not a hindrance to our community. That they should see us as those who are, you know, wanting to help and wanting to, to impact, that we are helping to carry the load of morality and to care for others in our culture. That, that's our calling. Now, there's also an outward reason that we also see in verse 15 when he says that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And so this has to do with our witness to the world. That's the outward. The inward is our, you know, we want to do this to honor God. And we want to, we want to do this to, because we know it's the will of God. The outer is because it's a good witness to the world. And this is the thing that I, I hope you realize, but every single one of us, The world is watching us. Do you realize that? You name the name of Christ. People are watching you. You know, Jesus didn't say, you can be the light of the world or a light in the world. He said, you are. The question is, what kind of light are we? We're a light. People are watching us. They're looking at us. I remember when I was in high school, and I I was a Christian in high school. And there was this guy um, on my baseball team whose name was Louie. And he was, uh, he was one of the pitchers. And he just used to harass me, like all the time. He was just like a jokester, you know, kind of guy. And, and I really felt like, he doesn't like me, this guy, Louie, you know. And there was one particular game where I hit a, a ball... 
kind of in the gap between short and third, and the shortstop made a really good play and threw me out by like a half a step. And I was so mad when the umpire called me out. I took my helmet off and I threw it against the fence. And the next day at practice, Louie, who I thought didn't like me, he said, man, he goes, I was shocked when you did that. It made me want to cry because I've never seen you do anything like that before. And it just struck me like, oh my gosh, you know, here's this guy that I didn't think liked me and he's been like paying attention to me. And, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's been said when you throw a, a rock into a, a pack of dogs, the one that gets hit is the one that barks the most, you know. And, and I think that was what was happening with him. You know, my, my life was agitating him. And so he was just on me all the time. And then... I came to realize, you know, how much of a of a impact, you know, my life was making on him, especially when I when I blew it, you know. But people are watching us every single day. People you work with, they're watching you. People in our community, they're they're watching us and and I think one of the best witnesses that we can be is by being good citizens in our community. Because the way people will often view God is by the way they look at his representatives. It was Paul Tripp who said this, one of the greatest, if not the greatest apologetic for the gospel of Jesus Christ is a good life and a righteous life. And I think there's truth to that, a lot of truth to that. Now, the central issue is simply this. A good Christian should be a good citizen. That's our calling. But here's a question. And this is one that I think we wrestle with a lot today. What happens, what if I don't like who's in office? What if I don't like how they're leading? A lot of us can relate to that, right? You know, we we wrestle with that. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus and his followers liked Nero and the Romans? (laughs) Absolutely not. Nero was a lunatic who radically persecuted the church, and Rome was a great oppressor to the church. Yet the Holy Spirit is instructing the church that was in the first century to live in submission to these ungodly and oppressive leaders. And Paul makes a very interesting observation In Romans chapter 13, when he's writing on this subject, let me read it to you again. It'll be on the screen. He says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, this is interesting. Because Paul is saying that it's God who puts people in office. That's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? And we look at elections and we think like, this is the guy, and then he doesn't win. And when, it's, and when, when, and when Paul says that it's God who actually puts people in office, that doesn't mean that God always has good men reign. You see, sometimes as a judgment on people and a judgment on nations and a judgment on Israel, God allowed evil men to reign. We see this over and over and over again in the history of Israel. You could say that when Israel was living in times of rebellion, they got what they deserved. 
And God basically would say to them, if you want to follow after this evil way, then I'm going to give you somebody who's going to let you go that way. And you're going to see the consequences of that. And I believe that God still does that today. God says, if you don't want to live and you don't want to follow God, then God will allow evil men to reign over you. It's like we read in the book of Romans that as part, there in Romans chapter one, that as part of, of God's judgment, God says, and he gave them over to their vile lust. He gave them over to pursue their passions. But the goal of that is always that we might see the consequences of allowing evil to reign. For when evil reigns, a nation, a culture goes downhill. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, we're told, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So God would allow a nation to suffer reproach under ungodly leaders until the people would hit rock bottom and then cry out in repentance to God. And when they would turn their hearts to God and say, God, we don't want this anymore, and now we we, want to follow you, we want righteousness, then God would give them righteous leaders. And he'd put righteous leaders in place. And they'll lead the people in righteousness, and the nation would end up being exalted. And I have no doubt in my mind that this is exactly what God is doing in America right now. Because if we're honest, our nation is an ungodly nation. The support in our nation for abortion The support in our nation for gay marriage. The support in our nation for the redefining of of genders. The booming pornography industry in our culture. The corruption that we see in government. The hypocrisy that we see in the church. The high divorce rate that we see in our culture and even in the church, and the rise of violent crime in our culture, the massive turning away from God and from the church that we see happening right now are all indications of how far our nation has turned from God. How far our nation has turned its back on God. And like I mentioned in our September prophecy update that we're living, Jesus said in the last days it would be like the days of Noah and like the days of Lot. And we talked about how those two cultures were characterized by cultures that were living in defiance against God. That was the primary central issue in both of those times. And that's America in 2022. The majority have turned their backs on God. And the remnant is suffering because of it. Because of the the plight, the mindset, the direction that our country is going in. And so I think Paul's observation in Romans chapter 13 that God is the one who puts people in office begs this question. What then? And I want you to hear me on this. What then should be the focus of the church? Should our primary focus be to try to get ungodly people out of office? Now, don't misunderstand me. 
I think that we as the church need to educate and encourage people to, and believers to vote and to vote biblically. We have to do that. We, we, we place an emphasis on that. I love the fact that we have this Impact North County uh, team that started. And part of their thing is to just help educate and encourage, you know, voting. But here's the thing. Paul says it's God who determines who gets put in office still. And I ask you this question. You know, we can, we can find ourselves, you know, after an election, we've seen this, screaming and yelling and complaining and, you know, and accusing of, of corrupt counting of ballots. And all of that might be true. But I ask you this question. Could God change all the ballots if he wanted to? You ever thought about that? I mean, is he, is, he, is he great enough to do that? Like, If he were to say, you know what? I don't care how corrupt these guys are. I want this person in office. And so I'm just going to change all those you know, ballots so that they vote for that. I think God could do that if he wanted to do that. He's that capable of doing that. But he doesn't do that. So he allows who gets put in office. And I think right now, you know, he's allowing a lot of evil people with evil agendas to be put in office because our nation is living in defiance against God. So he's giving us what we deserve. He's allowing us to go down this trail. And I think the, the hope in, in his heart is that our nation would get so sick of it that, that we would cry out to him. In, in, in repentance, that we would turn to God. And that's why, and I want you to hear me on this, that's why I think our main focus as the church has to be this, to call believers to live righteously, to call believers to repent of our ungodliness, to call believers to stand up for righteousness, to not live in carnality, to be examples of righteousness, to, to call believers to stand against secular ideologies that go against Scripture. So that would mean to stand up and say, you know what, abortion is wrong, and that is killing a baby, and we need to protect human life. It means for us to stand up and for the biblical view of marriage and be clear that, hey, the Bible says it's between a man and a woman. To stand up and say, hey, the, the Bible is clear as it relates to gender. The Bible says that he made them male and female. It's that simple. So we are to stand boldly against those things that go against Scripture. But hear me. But at the same time, we need to seek to lovingly reach out to people who are lost and living in those lifestyles that go against God, remembering this, that all of us at one time, we were in that same place. We were living in defiance against God. We were living in a way that was in rebellion against him. And so we in the church, we always need to be remembering the big picture the big picture is this, that Jesus left heaven and came to this earth to save sinners. 
And so this is what becomes the challenging thing, I think, in our culture. How do we stand for righteousness and make our voice heard? But how do we do it in a way that is not combative? How do we do it in a way where we actually come across different from the world instead of sounding exactly like the world? And I think a lot of what's happening today in, in our culture is that the church and the world, in a lot of respects, especially as it relates to this subject, we, we sound the same. It's just who can yell the loudest. You know what I mean? That's kind of the place that, that, that we're in today. So how do we do that? How do we keep a focus on, okay, we want to we you know, we, we stand for righteousness, but at the same time, we want to love the lost and reach out to the lost. And we want to make sure that, that you know, our voice is, is, is heard and that, that we're standing in our culture for things that go against the Bible, that we need to stand up for those things and say, hey, that's, that's not right. I don't agree. How do, how do we do that? I think Paul gives us the answer in verse 2 when he says, and speak evil of no one, be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. I think this is how we do it. It starts, guys, on our knees in prayer. That's where it starts. That, that's how we, I think, get that humble heart that we see in Jesus in the way that he carried himself. It starts on our knees. And I wonder what would happen if the church prayed more for and about our government and complained less. I wonder what would happen, to be honest with you. I wonder what would take place. So it starts on our knees. But we also do it, we do it in voting booths. We do it in meetings behind closed doors. Meeting with people of influence and people in, in the government. Like I will always take some time every year, at least once, to meet with our mayor to meet with different officials, to just let them know, hey, this is where we stand on things, but also to find out, hey, what are the needs in our community? What are some of the things that, that we as a church could be a help here and help out in? It's important. It happens in voting booths and meetings behind closed doors. We do it in writing emails to our government leaders. When we have the opportunity to do that, and, and I know sometimes we can think, that's not going to do any good, but it's an opportunity to let our voice be heard, let our voice be known. And when we are meeting with unbelievers, we show respect. We show them respect. We respectfully allow them to share their opinions. It's important to sit down and talk with them. Let me hear, what, what, are you, what are you about? Building some trust, building some relationship so that we can share with them the truth. And even if they reject our message, we, we love them. Look for ways to bless them. Because, remember what Paul said in Romans? He says, for all of us, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. God got a hold of us through his kindness 
And I think one of the ways that, that we impact the lost world around us is through showing kindness as well. It was his kindness that won us over. And, and I think, you know, we can show kindness, but we, we can do it. This is where, again, it becomes a struggle. You can show kindness to somebody without condoning their sin. Here's how I've done that. I've just been honest with somebody. Hey, I just want you to know, I don't agree with your lifestyle, but I love you. And we can be friends. And I'll still get together and you know, we can go and have coffee and get a burger. And, but I want you to know, I, I don't agree because... This is what the Bible says. And I know you, know you can wrestle with that, but that's not really against about you and me. That's about you and God. But we can be friends. We can have a relationship. We can meet. We can talk. And what that does is it gives an opportunity for, for somebody to, to, to then, when, when they're going through something, you might be the first person that they want to reach out to because they know you really care for them. And we do that. And here's what we so often, I think, forget today. It's this. That the apostles, the New Testament writers, and even Jesus always had this focus on the lost. And the message of the New Testament is that the kingdom of God happens through regeneration, not reform. And we need to realize that. We need to not forget that. And the Bible is pretty clear that there's never going to be a perfect kingdom here on earth until Jesus shows up, until Jesus comes to reign. And according to what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the only reason, don't forget this, the only reason that Jesus is delaying his coming is that he's waiting for more, more souls to get saved. That's what he tells us. It's the only reason that God's not slack concerning his promise. He doesn't want anybody to perish. And so he's waiting for more people to come to Christ. And so listen, our primary objective has to be the spreading of the gospel and the encouraging of living in a way that promotes the gospel, remembering what it was like to be lost. I think that's one of the biggest dangers that we have as believers, is that when we've been walking with the Lord for a long time, we can forget what it was like to be lost. We forget what our sin looked like. And I think this is Paul's point that he mentions here. If you keep reading here in verse 3, he says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. <laughs> That's quite a description, isn't it, that he's giving there? He's saying, guys, this is what we used to be like. This was, how, this was the wickedness of our hearts. And for the life of me, I don't understand why we as believers can start to get high-minded in thinking that we are better than everyone else when we were just as lost and just as doomed and just as depraved and, and, and living in defiance of God 
like so many people that we see around us. We were lost and doomed, but God. And that's what Paul goes into next in verse four when he says, when, let me read verse three again. I'm gonna attach these together. So, so we ourselves, we, we were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So living in defiance against God, and this is how it was carried out in our relationships. We, we didn't even like each other, okay? But then he says this, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, that was through Jesus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We haven't saved ourselves. It's not us who, we didn't reform ourselves and make ourselves right, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is what God did for us. And this is what we need to keep in the forefront of our lives and the forefront of our message. Notice what Paul says next. He says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. Titus, remind them of this constantly. This is what's important. This is what the focus should be, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works, and these things are good and profitable to men. Now, one last question on this subject of are there times on, on submitted in the government? Here's the question. Are there times when we don't submit, when we aren't called to submit? And the answer is yes. And the answer is yes in, in the sense that anytime the government is asking us to do something that goes against Scripture, we serve a higher law and a higher king. King Jesus. So we'll see in the book of Acts when the officials tell the disciples, Peter and John, quit talking. After they arrested them and beat them, and they said, You guys, we're going to let you go, but you got to just promise us that you just stop talking about Jesus. And they said, Sorry, we can't do that because we have to obey God rather than man. So anytime we find ourselves in a situation where you know, the authorities over us are saying something that goes against Scripture, we don't submit to that. No, we submit ourselves to God. We submit ourselves to Him. We'll see um, in the book of Daniel, laws passed. You can't pray. You can only make requests request to the king. What does Daniel do? I love it. Daniel was, you know, he followed the, the custom of the Jews. They prayed three times a day. And so Daniel, you know, goes to pray three times a day and he opens his windows. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not following that. I'm going to pray and I'm going to do it where everybody can see me. We also see in the book of Daniel, and we could go through just countless illustrations on this, but we see um, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar makes his giant statue and says, okay, when the music sounds, everybody needs to bow down to this statue. 
And if you don't bow, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. So everybody's assembled in their giant statue. The music starts playing. Everybody bows down. And there's three young Hebrew guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stand. We're not bowing. Why? Because we serve a higher king. We're submitted to a higher king. We, we can't follow that law. We can't, we can't abide by that rule because we're submitted to, the, to him. And you know the story. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar's like, he liked these guys. He saw their, their value in his kingdom. So he you know, like pulls them in and is like, okay, I'm going to give you guys another chance. And they're like, king, it doesn't matter how many times you do this. We're not going to bow. And you can throw us in the fiery furnace, but we'll tell you this, you know, one way or another, God's going to deliver us from you. And you know the story. They're in the fiery furnace, and who shows up with them? Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he goes, didn't we throw three guys bound into the fiery furnace? Why is it that I see four no longer bound, but they're like walking around, you know, talking. What is going on, you know, and brings them out. And, and uh, God preserved them in that beautiful, beautiful. And I think God does that in the midst of the fire that we find ourselves in, that Jesus, he is with us. So, Anytime the law is asking us to do something that is unbiblical, we have to resist because we are under a higher authority. But here's another thing. Jesus also taught that human need also supersedes human ritual and human law. That's why he always did, you know, he was always healing on the Sabbath day. Always got the religious leaders, you know, worked up. And, and one of the things that he was illustrating by that, he illustrated also when, you know, David, he said, you know, David went and on the eight of the, the bread that was in the, 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 the tabernacle. It was reserved for the priests because he and his men were hungry. Human needs supersedes religious ritual. He supersedes the, the, the law and, and, and it plays into this. It's the same reason why, you know, Christians... In Nazi Germany are hiding Jews. And people are coming to their house and saying, Are you any Jews in there? Nope, they're lying. Why? Because human need superseded the wicked law. And so we, we stand in the midst of that. It's one of the reasons why, you know, during, in 2020, it's one of the reasons why we opened up our church when we did during the pandemic, because the sheriff came and met with us, and he shared with us that domestic violence in Vista was up 70%. Things were just going crazy, getting out of hand. Suicide was up 60%. And we heard that, and we're like, you know what? Unbelievers aren't, aren't tapping into you know, what we're doing here on, online. But there's a lot of people out there in our community that, that are hurting and people need a place to come. And, and we actually talked with our leaders here in our city and told them what we wanted to do and how we thought we could do it in a safe manner. And they gave us the thumbs up. Said, go for it. And that year, it's interesting, we had more baptisms and saw more people come to the Lord than we had seen in several years combined because the, the need regulated the heart to say, you know what, we need to be here. 
We need to be available to our community. And so there are times when the government might say this and we say, no, I can't do that. I think there's one other thing that would relate to this, and it's, it's when, um, you know, the Bible talks about sinning against our own conscience. And I know there were a lot of people, you know, in, um, it wasn't really like a law thing, but it was, it was a, a thing as it related to, um, you know, maybe their profession and their work where they really wanted them to, you know, their employer said, we want you to get the, the vaccine. And they're like, I, I just, I don't, I can't, I don't, I don't want to do that. And the Bible talks about that, about sinning against our own conscience. And there's a sense of saying where, you know, I, I've done my, my research in this and, and I just, I don't feel comfortable with that. And we, we know quite a few people that that was hard. People lost their jobs because of that. So these are all reasons why we, we, we make a stand in, in this. There isn't, it isn't a blanket, oh, you just submit no matter what. No, if it's things that go against Scripture, if it's things that, that where the, the human need supersedes what's being told us, if it violates my conscience, then I'm submitting to a higher authority. Well, let's finish up the chapter. At this point, Paul turns his attention on our behavior and conduct to those um, inside the church. He turns his attention from outside the church as it relates to how we relate to government to now those inside the church. Look at verse 9. He says, But avoid foolish disputes and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. These were all arguments, religious arguments, disputes about the law and genealogies, and some of those, those are some of the things that the legalists were bringing up that Paul addressed in chapter 1. These were some of the things that the legalists, the Judaizers, loved to get into, you know, to talk about how we need to follow the law and how we need to be circumcised and how, you know, we need to be all about these different genealogies and all of this. And, and, and Paul said, avoid that. Don't waste your time getting pulled into those kind of conversations because I like how he puts it, for they are unprofitable and useless. And I want to just say this to to all of us here. Because I think there's a place in, in friendship and in conversations where, you know, we can talk about different things and banter back and forth and agree to disagree and, and, and stuff. I mean, there's a place for that. You know, I have some friends who, you know, we, we might talk about political things or we might talk about, you know, some different um, theological things and banter, you know, back and forth. But I'll tell you this, if that's all we did, it would not be healthy. It would not be healthy. And in our friendships, in our relationships, we, we need to do what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, where he says that we are to stir one another up to love and good works. And I think in, in our relationships with our, our friends and the guys that you know, we're hanging out with, um, if, if we're not leaving those times being spent together with a sense of our hearts being stirred up for the Lord, our hearts are feeling you know, closer to Jesus than, 
I think there's something wrong. So I just say that to say, guys, I want to encourage you to be intentional in your conversations. Because it's so easy to just get, spend all of our time getting caught up in talking about useless, unprofitable things. And I think for those of us who are guys, it's really, really easy for us to do that because we're not like the girls. We don't open up as much like, like they do. But I want to encourage you to, to form and seek to form friendships with, with men here in the church that, that it can be, like the Bible talks about, iron sharpening iron, where you're encouraging one another. Where you're giving you know, that brother the permission in your life to point out things and to say things like you know, if they see something in your life and, and, and to even you know, be asking each other about, you know, hey, what, what, have, what are you reading? You know, what, what's God showing you? What's he teaching you? And, and you know, even you know, maybe picking something to go through together that just you know, creating. My, my wife and I, I'll give you an example. You know, my wife and I hit a point in our, in our marriage where things just got kind of stale, you know. We were just too familiar with one another. And we really didn't have much to talk about. And so what we started doing was sharing our devotions with one another. What's God been speaking to you? And it was so enriching. And it did such a, a great thing because one, I mean, it allowed me to see some things about my wife that I had no idea, you know, was going on in her heart. I mean, she was sharing me most intimate things that God was speaking to her about, and it was so beautiful. But here's the other thing that happened is that type of communication, you know, we did that for about a year, like every single, you know, whatever my day off was, we would have breakfast and we would take our journals and we would talk to each other about that. And we did it every single year. And I'll be honest with you, at first it was kind of awkward. It was kind of awkward. And, um, but we got through it. We pushed through it and started to become more natural. And now it's just something that happens naturally where we'll just be riding in the car and it'll be like, hey, what were you reading today? Or what's, what's, you know, where, where are you at in your devos? What's the Lord showing you? And, and, and it just is, becomes this normal part of our conversation. And I think when we become intentional like that in our relationships with, with other brothers, it, it becomes then the norm. And it's that iron sharpening iron. So I just want to encourage you to seek that out. Get together with, you know, guys. I had to do this with some of my friends where I said, you know what, we spend so much time talking about pointless things. Why don't we just get intentional about sharing the things that God is speaking um, to our hearts? So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, Paul takes it one step further in verse 10 when he says this, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition knowing that such a person is warped and sinning and being self-condemned. Now, in my 26 years of being the lead pastor here at the church, I can think of only two times when we had to do this. And there was a guy a few years ago who, you know, he had OCD, and he just would get so fixated on certain things. And he would relentlessly pound his opinions into everyone. And I met with this guy personally countless times, trying to reason with him, way more than twice, 
countless times of just trying to reason with him to get him to see you know where he was in error and it was interesting because it wasn't so much that he was off doctrinally it was just the overemphasizing of minor things and you know that saying i love it in essentials we strive for unity in non-essentials liberty there's freedom to disagree and in all things charity or love And I would say to him, look, bro, this is a non-essential. So let's just agree to disagree and show love and not make this an issue anymore. But he couldn't do that. And it got to the point where he was becoming divisive and oppressive to others in the body of Christ. And we finally just had to say, bro, I'm sorry, but you just can't fellowship anymore. You just got you, you just gotta go. Like you have a you have a long line of people that you've hurt and offended and have oppressed with all of these different things. So there are times when we have to reject people who are divisive for the good of the whole church. And that's what Paul's saying here. Look at Paul's final thought in verse 12. He says, When I send Artemis to you. Or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicolopus, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. And let other people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. And all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Paul gives a good definition of fruitfulness in this text. In verse 14 when he says, Maintain good works and meet urgent needs. I like that. It's a good description of fruitfulness. Maintain good works and meet urgent needs. Good works has actually been a theme here in the book of Titus. In in chapter 1, verse uh, 8, he told us to love what is good. In chapter 2, verse 3, he taught Titus to teach what is good. And then here, he's telling us, as well as in a couple other places in chapter 2, do what is good. And I heard someone say this once, that believers are to be like good watches. They're to be pure gold, open-faced, always on time, dependable, quietly busy, and full of good works. I like that. It's a good picture to have. And you know what's interesting, and I'm going to just kind of wrap up with this, and then we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. Good works, there's a lot of opportunities here at our church to be involved in good works. And I want to give you some, just to, you know, here on our campus... There's a great work of serving in our parking lot ministry. And you know what's so interesting about the parking lot ministry is that I think that is maybe the most important, one of the most important ministries that we have here. Because it's the first impression that people have when they pull into you know, this parking lot It's the first impression that they have of the church. 
that they get to see, you know, and if there's some guys out there that are just, you know, in a great mood and waving them on and helping them get parked, and you, and you guys know, I mean, this is a, can be a hard parking lot, parking lot to come to. We don't have near enough parking spaces for the amount of seats that we have, um, you know, in our, uh, in our sanctuary. And there have been times, I know this, people have told me this, I've had people actually tell me, I came to your church on a Sunday and I pulled into the parking lot and I couldn't find a parking place and I didn't know where to go. So I just left and I never came back. It was like the, you know, I, I, I wanted to come, but I ended up going over here. And oh, that, that kind of thing grieves my heart. My neighbor she told me once that she came and, and her, her husband served in, in the military and he was deployed. And she came here um, with her two little boys. One of them was in a stroller. And she couldn't find a parking place here in the, in the parking lot. And so she parked across the street here where, where it used to be the bank. But she was having a hard time getting her boys to cross the street, even there at the light. And she got so frustrated that she just turned around and went home. And I hear things like that, and it just breaks my heart. And I th- I'm thankful. I and mean, we've beefed up our parking lot ministry and I'm thankful for the guys who you know have a heart to be out there and to serve you know in that way and help people come out I think it's a hugely hugely important place in our thing there's the greeters and the ushers again you know after the parking lot again that's the first impression those who are at the door, you know, those who are at this door, and if people are coming in and we're ignoring them or we're grumpy, you know, it's like, you know, it, it's huge. It's a, it's a tremendous place, an opportunity that we have to really magnify the love of Jesus. The, the ministry that takes place out in the courtyard and the setup that happens out there, you know, beforehand, and the 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 ministry and the serving, you know, in the in the coffee house that takes place in there, and what a blessing that is! That that you know, one of our core values is connection and fellowship, just like the early church, and and so that creates a space for that to happen after our services out there where people you know are getting a chance to meet each other and connect with one another it's just it's vital those who pray on our prayer team up front you know sometimes i mean we can think the only ministry that happens you know here in this place happens on the stage and that's just not true there's so much ministry that happens as people are praying with one another and, and loving on one another and, you know, all these different spaces, all, all the building upkeep. There are some guys, and we could use some more of them. They'd love this. Some retired guys who come on their own and they volunteer and they take care of this building. They take care of our facility. And they just come and they take ownership of it. And it's beautiful. It's awesome to see, you know, that happen. These are good works. Um, Being involved in children's ministry, it's a good work that takes place. Teaching, ministering to those those kids, and you guys that do that, it's just so, it's awesome. You know, pouring in to that next generation. We have a security team here at our church. Because we want everybody here to feel safe. And we have guys that serve on that. And you, pretty soon they're going to get, they're supposed to be getting t-shirts or 
polo shirt, so they kind of stand out a, a little bit. But, um, you know, I love the fact that at all of our services, there are guys who, you know, are cruising around. You might see them with a little thing in their ear, and, and they're just there to watch out and look to protect over the flock. And again, that's something if you're interested in um, that we can put you in contact with Ron, who oversees um, that. You know, it's the, the prayer, the counseling that Rob mentioned, uh, the greed, you know, the, the what do you call it? Guest. guest. Guest ministry. You know, people that come into this place. And, and uh, if, you know, if any of you guys are in a place where, um, you know, we, we, this, I love when this happens. Sometimes we have, you know, guys that are maybe retired or they're older or their schedule is such that they'll say that they'll come in and they'll just... Um, you know, be available. We put them in an office and, and they're there to serve as walk-ins come in or, you know, they might get a phone call for somebody that needs prayer and they'll put it through to them. And, um, you know, our pastoral staff isn't very big. And um, so on any given day of the week, there might only be three of us here. And, um, and so, you know, the, the, those needs can be great. And so sometimes we have guys in the body that say, yeah, I've got time and I'd love to serve in that way. And, you know, obviously we'll vet them. We want to make sure that they're solid. And, um, but just having that opportunity to do that type of thing is, is awesome. You know, being involved in the worship ministry. I mean, we're blessed, aren't we, with the people that serve and lead us in worship. And, and again, you know, if you, I can't be on the worship team, um, any of them, because I can't sing and I can't play and they've let me know that um, so that's one of the ministries that I don't get to be a, a part of and so you need to be able to sing like carry a tune um, and uh, play but uh, you know there's opportunities to serve in that type of way those are good works there's other good works in the sense of upcoming events. We have two big upcoming events where you know guys can serve in. One is the, the Merry Mall. And there'll be, you know, hundreds of people here that day coming, you know, people from our community, people from our body coming to shop. Their kids are playing and, and as they're shopping because they don't have money to buy, you know, for Christmas. And, and, you know, we get people here that just are there to love on them and serve them and, you know, people there to minister to their kids. It's good works. It's being fruitful in those good works. The, the women's Christmas event that takes place. Big outreach. It's one of the main things that our women do where we see, you know, people, uh, ladies that invite, you know, their relatives and neighbors. And this place will have a bunch of unbelievers in it. And, you know, the guys, we come and we get dressed up a little bit and we serve them, you know, their food and we wait on them. And, you know, they get all excited because they, you know, see us kind of dressed up and taking care of them. It's good works. It's being an extension of Jesus in that way. We have a lot of opportunities to serve off campus, things that don't happen here. You know, we see that in our Be the Church, where we take stuff to, you know, food to um, needy kids in public schools. We have the opportunity in Solutions for Change uh, that ministers to the homeless people in our community, and we partner with them. And we have people that go there and do Bible studies. And, you know, Jesse and some guys recently, a few months ago, got together and went and built furniture for them and, and, and did that type of thing. And just opportunities to reach out and partner with, you know, those in our community. Um, Operation Hope is a similar thing. There's opportunities with Birth Choice to, 
serve and be involved. Um, there's the Love Life Prayer Walks where we can go out and, and join with them who are praying at Planned Parenthood and just, you know, praying that, that God would move and work. And they've seen, you know, people that were going to get abortions end up changing their minds and deciding to keep their babies and, you know, that type of thing. Um, there's the good news clubs where we have people. I mean, again, if you have a, a schedule that would permit this, I mean, this to me, I, would, I think this is the most amazing thing. And I would love to see this happening on every campus in, in our area that we would have opportunity to. But we can go on to a public school campus, meet with, you know, 30 or 40 elementary age kids after school and teach them about Jesus. How incredible is that? How amazing is that? Those are good works. We have the jail ministry. There's an opportunity um, to go into the jail, teach Bible studies, minister to uh, people who are incarcerated. We have ministry opportunities that are starting up again on Camp Pendleton. If that's something you're interested in, you could talk to Jesse. Um, great opportunity. Those have been some of the funnest things, you know, seeing 800 recruits come into a, a room and, and we do worship for them and we uh, feed their sergeants and, and stuff. And these guys just, you know, go crazy. And then we give the message and, you know, a bunch of them end up giving their lives to the Lord. And then they get sent out as these little, you know, missionaries. These are all opportunities for good works that we have to do here and out there. And again, Paul says, maintain good works and meet urgent needs. This is a way of being fruitful. And so as we wrap this up, I want to encourage you to just be thinking about and praying about what that might look like for you in this next season here at the church for you to be involved, for you to not just be, you know, a spectator, but for you to be a participant. Amen.